crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. I feel like we just said, like, hey, welcome. Hey, welcome. Take off your shoes. Kick back. Stay, Stay a while. while. Oh. <laughs> I'm Matt, and Angela is gulping her chai tea. <laughs> I will come out of this an expert on chai, and also I will have none left. So. Okay. Okay. Well, do you want to introduce yourself then? I mean, that feels awkward. I think you did a good Je- job. Okay. All right, and this is the Criminy Podcast. Yeah. Stories that are going to make you say, Criminy. Criminy. Oh, that's crikey. Right. (laughs) Crikey. Disclaimer, disclaimer. We are not qualified professionals at all. We are both unemployed. We do have college degrees, though. I think that's cool. Siblings living... On the West Coast, trying to entertain ourselves and maybe other people. That sounds good. So we're we're pretty much professionals. Do you want to tell me a story? I am going to tell you the fucked up story about Polly Class and that scumbag Richard Allen Davis. Going back in time to 1993. There was a slumber party on October 1st, 1993, in Petaluma, California, at Polly Hannah Class's house that she lived at with her mom, Eve Nickel, and her sister, Annie Nickel. So uh, Polly's mom had been married to Polly's dad, and they had Polly, and then they divorced, and she, her mom met another guy who ended up they had Annie with. So Annie is Polly's half-sister. Okay. Okay. So that night, Polly and her two friends, Jillian and Kate, were in her room talking about what they were going to be for Halloween. Oh, no. Yeah, and practicing putting on some, like, Halloween makeup and stuff and, you know, playing board games, normal middle school antics, talking Typical too loudly. Typical slumber party stuff. Yep, talking too loudly. Uh, Polly's oh. mom... Polly's mom was getting a migraine, so she, yeah. I wonder if one of them couldn't whisper. (laughs) (laughs) You all have one of those friends that... We all had one. For some reason, does not have the ability to whisper. (laughs) I am whispering. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so you guys, and then this happened. (laughs) Stephanie. Looking Looking at at you, Stephanie. (laughs) Cousin Stephanie. Uh, okay. Anyway, so yes, the girls were getting excited and hanging out, and uh, her mom Eve decided to try and quiet them down because she was getting a migraine. So she like went into the room and was like, "Girls need to be quiet. I'm getting a headache, and it's getting late. You need to think about going to bed." So Eve goes to her room, and she uh, decides that her migraine is unbearable, so she takes a sleeping pill to get her to sleep. Oh, no. Yeah. So the girls are settling down, and around 10.30, Polly uh, is going to go get some sleeping bags for them to all settle down in. So she opens her bedroom door, and there's a big man holding a knife in his hand. In the house? 
in the house. She opened the door and was going to go to, like, the hallway to go get a sleeping bag. So, yes, in the house. I didn't realize it was in their house. In the house. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Yes. He quickly tells them to be quiet. No one will get hurt. He just wants money and valuables. Um, He ties the girls up with some bindings that he's brought with him. And then he also, you, he ripped out the cables for the Nintendo that they were playing and used that to tie them up as well as like a purse strap. Oh God. How old were they? Oh, they were 12. They were in seventh grade and he puts pillowcases over their heads and he tells the girl, he tells Jillian and Kate to count to a thousand and that he's going to take Polly around the house to collect the valuables and that by the time they're done counting, she'll be back in the room and it'll be like nothing happened. So they start counting, um, and after a few minutes, I guess one of the girls heard the back door close, so they both wriggled out of their bindings and were able to free themselves, and they went and woke up Eve to tell her what happened, and then, this is like the 911 call, uh, uh, apparently a man just broke into our house and took my daughter, I just woke up and two girls here spent the night with my daughter, She's 12 and a half. She's not here. I didn't even hear anything. I was asleep. And the dispatcher asked to speak to one of the girls. And Kate McLean's voice was heard. And she said, he took Polly away. Oh, God. We heard the screen door bang shut. Uh, so, which, you know, if she's on heavy sleeping pills. And that happened, like, maybe not even an hour after she took her pill. She's probably, like, so... groggy and disoriented where you could see where you would like not be able to grasp what's happening well even if you weren't under the influence of anything you wouldn't be able to grasp exactly so it's like something so crazy right right like you just saw her you just told him to be quiet and now you're being woken up so the police show up really fast um, and the two girls were able to give a pretty good description to a sketch artist, and they were able to start circulating his image around. And everyone, everyone was out looking for her. They had like over 600 volunteers looking for her. They had like 300 plus search and rescue, police, coast guards. Everyone was out looking for her. Publicity about the disappearance grew, and the case became the first missing children's case to be carried out in real time on the internet so like his image was able to get passed around a lot um online oh just a brief yeah just a brief um you said the coast guard and when zachary and i went to a town meeting the i forget what he is he's some kind of like governmental worker but he like made this whole talk about how people need to stop drowning in Tamales Bay because it's really expensive oh my god (laughs) and the coast guard is like wasting their time (laughs) that too many people are going out there and like getting swept away and then like coast guard has to come find them and it's like really expensive so people need to like stop basically dying in the bay (laughs) yeah if you could just like stop dying in the bay that'd be great it's just like really expensive we don't have the resources for it keep to the shore people keep to the shore I mean I I do, but you know. <laughs> anyway, when the the police interviewed a lot of different witnesses from the neighborhood, a lot of neighbors and just people out and about town that had reported seeing a kind of hulking 
dirty looking man in dark clothes with bushy hair standing like around Polly's house. Yeah. And some of them even saw him standing beside her house. Um, they, there was like a, so he was like pretty obvious. Yes. And like, there was a, mo- there was a mother-in-law unit and I think behind Polly's house that had two or three tenants in there or a tenant and like some guests or something. So they had like a view of her back step which or her back door which is where he entered and they saw the dude like on the back porch and didn't say anything why you know maybe they didn't know if if he was like uh their guest or something didn't want to make a scene I don't know like you make justifications I mean I know you can't blame them but like some creepy dude is on like the back porch I feel like you'd like call the house and be like hey there's, like, some dude on your porch. We talk ourselves out of things every, all day. I know. All the time. I mean, especially being in a city where, you, well, Petaluma's not really a city, but, like. No, it was, like, rural, too. Yeah. But, like, you know, when you're used to just, like, seeing random people, you don't call for every stranger you see. But, yeah, it's it's fucked up because a lot of people saw this person around Polly's house before anything happened like even they said like hours before he was just like standing in the yard Ugh. yeah Ew. this is so tragic I know so they went and a lot of the neighbors said that they saw him like carrying either a bag or a box um, when he was just like hanging out around the house and so police you know did their investigation work they didn't have any like super good leads other than the sketch they were able to find a palm print from her bed frame and obviously had the bindings that he brought with him so they had that and then they found some fibers that later they find were from his car like the the carpeting of his car or the seating and then they found a couple hairs that looked like they were like forcibly removed so around the same time around the time that police were investigating the scene in a rural area of Santa Rosa about 20 miles north of Petaluma a babysitter was leaving her job at a house on Pythian Road the house like kind of sat far away from the roads it was a really long driveway to get up to the house so when she got towards the end of the driveway she noticed this big dirty guy with bushy hair trying to get her to stop like his car was stuck in a ditch (gasps) stuck in a ditch and uh, she rolled her window down and the man like basically demanded that she get out of the car to help get the car unstuck and she like was like fuck that shit yeah good for her and she rolled up the window and left and she like immediately now keep in mind this is the early 90s so cell phones aren't a thing Right, right so she had to drive down to where she could find the nearest payphone. Oh shit! So she so she goes to the payphone and she calls Dana Jaffe, who lived at the house with her daughter, and called Dana and said, basically, there's a creepy guy at the end of your driveway. Ew, yeah. Uh, Dana puts her child in the car and they drive out to an, another payphone to call the police and tell the police that there's a creepy dude on her property. Mm. Um, and the cops, I guess the cops like asked her if she wanted to press charges because he was on her private property, but she didn't really, she didn't want to deal with that hassle. And like, you know, if it was just some motorist stuck, like she didn't want to like cause the big 
scene or whatever. So right. she, uh, so she decided not to press charges. Did they go and check up on him? So some cops showed up, and they found him at the car, and they noticed that he was super dirty and like had like leaves in his hair. And he told them that he had like been underneath his car trying to get it unstuck, and that's why he was so dirty. But mm-hmm. one of one of the officers kind of noticed that his car he had a, a pinto and it was too low the way that it was stuck for him to actually get under the car so oh so they thought that was weird but they didn't really say much of anything i mean that's pretty good police work they didn't really notice anything super suspicious they saw that he had beer cans in the car and this asshole was just like so confident in himself that he actually like while they were talking to him cracks a beer open and starts drinking it why what how does he have like all this confidence he's like dirty as fuck and like obviously creepy with weird vibes and he's just like super chill basically the cop was like uh fuck no you need to pour that shit out yeah (laughs) so they made him pour it out um and they did a field sobriety test on him and he passed one of the officers um ran his driver's license and some sources say that they, he may have transposed some numbers because when he typed it in, nothing came up. So they were like, oh, he's clean, whatever. And On his driver's license? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, maybe they were, like, not embossed or whatever. Right. Back then? Well, no, I mean, he, like, typed it into his computer system. Oh, the police officer transposed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I thought that... No, 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 no. <laughs> Oh, no, okay. yeah, well, the officer took his license to the oh, car to go check it, and, like, during... That's so unfortunate. During this time, um, unfortunately, their computer systems in the cars were only able to check uh, driving history and not criminal records at the time. Whoa. So if they had seen his criminal record, they may have not been let so quick to let him go. Whoa. And also... During this time, uh, all the police radios were not on the same channel. So, so the the All Points Bulletin to find Polly went out on uh, the CHP radios, the California Highway Patrol radios, yeah. and not on um, regular police radios what? or the sheriff's lines. So these guys who had this guy who was the exact description of the person they were looking for that other people are looking for this person did not get the memo to be on the lookout for this person. Oh my God. Nor did they get the memo that there was a 12 and a half year old child missing. Oh my God. So without anything to hold him for, because they didn't know they pulled his car out of the ditch and they let him go. They told him to drive off and he did. And they took off, and then, um, yeah, that's as far as they know. Now, about twenty or thirty. This is this is according to Richard Allen Davis's account. He said about twenty to thirty minutes after he drove off, he drove back to Pythian Road to get Polly. Uh, he said in his account, he said that she was still alive at that point. No. And that, and that he got her back in the car and drove around aimlessly until he decided he had to kill her because she could identify him. No. Um, but more realistically, and what the cops, what the investigators believe, is that she was dead at the time. Yeah. Because, like, 
no way a 12 year old girl sits quietly in the dark when she like sees police cars or like lights or like hears police radio or even just like to run in any direction or scream or make a noise. I don't know though when you're that little and there's like a creepy adult like and you're terrified. I don't know. But him being like, oh, she can identify me. Dude, you've been identified. Like, what? <laughs> you've not been sneaky this whole time. No, he is anything but sneaky. No, that's awful. Ugh. Yeah. So two months go by and they don't have any more leads. They don't. They're kind of still looking for this person who looks like the sketch. But other than that, you know, they have the palm print, but they don't have someone to match it to uh dana jaffe who owned the property that the guy's car got stuck on like one day she goes out to her property where the car got stuck and she finds some interesting things she found uh some of the some crudely cut bindings which like we discover later matched up perfectly to the ones found in the house they found a large sweatshirt um, a pair of red tights that were kind of tied up and had hair stuck in the knot. Oh, God. And they found a condom and a condom wrapper, but they weren't able to pull any DNA or fingerprints off the condom. They later find out that the hair in the tights was Polly's, and they were able to find, like, the fibers, the same fibers from his car on the binding and, I think, on his sweatshirt. 18 days after the abduction... Richard Allen Davis gets arrested on October 19th, 1993 in Ukiah for driving under the influence of alcohol. But of course, they didn't put two and two together and see that he was the same guy. So they let him uh, go, And he, but he failed to appear in court. He was arrested again on November 30th for violating the, his parole. And uh, when they got him on November 30th, that's when they were able to take his palm print and stuff and they were able to match it to the print on her bed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they're different counties. Yeah. Like, yeah, who aren't talking to each other. They weren't communicating. Right. Ugh. Right. Yeah, so the his palm print matched the one found in Polly's room and the hairs that were found in her room had his DNA on them because they were, like, forcibly removed so they still had the, like, skin attached. Yeah, yeah. So they were able to match it to him uh so basically he denied 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 until they had his palm print and then once they had his palm print he was like uh i'm fucked (laughs) um so he basically confessed and led the investigators to her body wow and she was found 50 miles north of petaluma just south of cloverdale in in an empty overgrown lot amongst a bunch of bushes and um uh, under a piece of plywood in a really shallow grave. Oh, that's so sad. Davis admitted to strangling her with a piece of cloth, but because of the decomp on her body, it was impossible to tell oh. the actual cause of death, but strangulation is consistent with the evidence. Friday, September 27th, 1996, the case finally goes to court. A jury in San Jose where the case was moved... Uh, after efforts to seat an impartial jury in Sonoma County failed. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, he was convicted on in June on 10 felony counts. The only charge that he disputed was attempting a lewd act with a child under the age of 14. 
It was Davis's final remark and the reaction it prompted that drew gasps in the courtroom. So this is about his, like, he's like, basically, I know that I didn't commit a lewd act on a child under the age of 14. He said, I would also like to state for the record that the main reason I know that I did not attempt any lewd act that night was because of a statement the young girl made to me walking her up the embankment. Just don't do me like dad. Oh, yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. And so, like, obviously, like, her dad, like, lunges at him in the courtroom. Yeah. Ugh, what an ass. Yeah. He's basically setting himself up so that he's not on the lowest rung in prison. Yeah, for sure. Because he also, throughout the trial, continued to say that he thought Polly was a lot older than she was. Oh, come on. Referring to her as that broad. (laughs) (laughs) What a dick. A 12-year-old child. Like, 12-year-olds are obviously children. Oh, my God. Well, not to mention she was, like, under four, you know, like, uh, under five feet and, like, you know, like, 85 pounds or something. Like a little girl. A child. A child. She looks like a child. What a dick. That broad. And on Tuesday, August 6th, 1996, four days of deliberation, the jury of six men and six women announced that Davis, a parolee who confessed to strangling Polly with a piece of yellow cloth, should die by lethal injection. He is currently on death row at San Quentin Prison in Marin County, California. So this case helped California usher in the three strikes law. Oh, whoa. Yes, um, because if you wait for me to reveal his delightful record, um, (laughs) you will see why this made a bunch of people uh, into the idea. So there were other states that had already uh, embraced the three strikes law. And by the time California did it, there were about 26 other states and the feds that adopted it. Except, you know, California, we like to do things a little more, little, little special. So we're a little more chill. We're not like that. Well, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh-oh. <laughs> so uh, in all the other states and the feds, the three strikes law basically says that, you know, you commit two violent felonies. Your third violent felony is going to get you 25 to life. Right. Well, California decided they're going to do, you get two violent felonies, any other thing you get arrested and charged for, Mm. you get 25 to life, which, you know, ends up putting a lot of people who maybe were turning their life around and stole something or or made a mistake, possession of marijuana or anything like that or hung out with the wrong person exactly so yeah yeah basically 10 years after passing that law the data showed that nearly half the inmates serving 25 to life were three strike offenders put away for nonviolent petty crimes oh god yeah that's bad <laughs> so that's bad um luckily that's really bad Luckily, in 2012, the law was changed so that the third strike had to be a violent felony. Right. And also, because of this case, all law enforcement officers who have computers in their car doing routine traffic stops have access to people's criminal records as well as their dri- as well as their driving records. Yeah, so they can. Wow. Yeah, and it also yeah, made it so that 
when they're broadcasting all points bulletins that they're broadcast on all radio frequencies. Good. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about this asshole. Okay. <laughs> dicky penisy. Old Richard. Yeah. Old Dick. Dick Allen Davis. Davis was born the third of five children in San Francisco. And both of his delightful parents, Bob and Evelyn, were um, alcoholics. Mm. Uh, some say abusive alcoholics. They're the, I mean, we don't know if the, how true this is, but his lawyer, um, you know, was trying to make a pity case for him and brought up how when he was younger, his mom caught him smoking a cigarette and she burned his hand for, you Ooh. know punishment right. but it seems like mostly they were just very neglectful which is, which is also, also very abusive. abusive but not physically you know what I mean yeah when Davis was 11 his parents divorced and I'm not sure how I mean she must have been like really fucking abusive and neglectful or something because the courts awarded full custody to the dad mm. um but good old Bob Bobby he didn't really give a fuck about the kids so he Basically, just shuttled them between family and babysitters, random people. Oh, lovely. And it might not necessarily be that he didn't give a fuck, but he was, you know, very mentally unstable and was said to suffer from hallucinations. Yeah. Reportedly, even shooting his gun at mirages outside. Yeah, well, if you're that deep in your addiction, alcohol can really mess you up. That's true. So I don't think he was in any shape or form ready to to, to be, be a father, father. yeah no <laughs> to five that'll make you go crazy on exactly oh my god especially on this yeah, on the salary of a longshoreman i thought they made pretty good money i don't know i, I don't know either <laughs> i had to look up what a longshoreman was what is a longshoreman so apparently they go to the docks and then unload and load like different um the big like container uh, ships ships yeah they load and unload ships yeah i think they do pretty well well he didn't give any of that to his kids no (laughs) well and who knows maybe he was like self-medicating with alcohol you don't know what goes into it all but yeah Yeah, i mean shitty situation for those kids yeah like one of his sisters said that he was a good brother and like took care of them but that was the only good thing i've seen or heard yeah um because at an early age he was reported to have been seen torturing and killing animals. Nope. Yep. No. One of his neighbors even said that he had a fun game of pouring gasoline on cats and lighting them on fire. No, 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 not cats. Yep. No. So he showed signs of being a sociopath at a young age, and he was actually later diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. That sounds about right. And I copied and pasted from the dsm about it it says Mm -hmm. diagnosis assigned to individuals who habitually and pervasively disregard or violate the rights and considerations of others without remorse people with antisocial personality disorder may be habitual criminals or engage in behavior which would be grounds for criminal arrest and prosecution or they may engage in behaviors which skirt the edges of the law or manipulate and hurt others in non-criminal ways, which are widely regarded as unethical, immoral, irresponsible, or in violation of social norms and expectations. Those with APD 
often possess an impaired moral conscience and makes decisions even purely by their own desires without considering the needs or negative effects of their actions on others. Impulsive and criminal behavior is common. And that basically describes him to a T. Mm. So his first arrest was when he was 12. Oh, God. <laughs> when he was living with his grandparents in Chowchilla in 1967 was when he was 12. So basically from 1967 until 1977, he was arrested basically every year, sometimes multiple times a year, except July 1971 when he entered the army as part of an agreement made with the court for a previous crime. Uh, his military records reflect that several infractions for AWOL, fighting, and failure to, failure to report, and morphine use. Yeah, well, what did they expect? <laughs> uh, so, obviously, he was discharged from the army in 1972. Yeah. In 1973, there was an incident that happened that he's not been convicted for, but people suspect that he may have had a hand in it. 18-year-old Marlene Voris was found dead from a shotgun. Seven suicide notes were found at the scene. Oh. Some, uh, some believe Davis, who was 19 at the time, had murdered her as he had been at her house when she had a party. Davis later confessed to a psychologist that her death deeply affected him, even going so far as to claim he heard her voice in his head telling him she wanted to be raped, robbed, or assaulted. Whoa. Cuckoo bananas. Whoa, fucked up. Um, at 22 years old, on September 24th, 1976, he abducts Francis Mays, a 26-year-old legal secretary from South Hayward BART station. Oh, God. And, and attempted to sexually assault her. She is a fucking badass and was able to escape... He, like, had a knife and was, like, threatening her. She grabbed the blade of the knife. Whoa. And at the time she grabbed the blade of the knife, she also opened the car door and with that timing was able to just get out. And and lucky for her, she flagged down a passing car and the passing car happened to be a CHP officer. Whoa. Who arrested Davis. Wow. So he was in jail. He... Attempted suicide, which he later admitted was a fake suicide attempt in order to be state in order to be sent to a state hospital where he could escape oh, more easily. God. Which he did. Yeah. He was transferred to the Napa State Hospital for psychiatric evaluation after he tried to hang himself. Oh my god. Um and he was mistakenly admitted as a voluntary patient rather than a prisoner. Okay, that should never be a mistake that ever happens. So on December sixteenth, 76, he escaped the hospital and went on a four-day crime spree in Napa. Oh, my God. Where he broke into the home of Marjorie Mitchell, a nurse at the state hospital, and beat her in the head with a fire poker while she slept. <sighs> he broke into a Napa County animal shelter and stole a gun and Wait, drugs. Wait, what? Yeah, apparently there was a gun and, like, and, uh... I assume like, like you tranquilizers? know, more like morphine and stuff. Yeah, like he stole. So he stole some of that. Oh, okay. I don't know why you'd have the gun there, but okay. I don't know. I guess it's I like know. rural, maybe. It's Napa. Yeah. yeah. Um, he used the shotgun to try to kidnap Hazel Frost, a bartender, 
as she climbed into her Cadillac outside a bar. When she saw that he had bindings, she fucking rolls out of the car, grabbed a gun from beneath the seat, and fired sh- fired six shots at him. Holy as shit. As he ran away. Fucking badass. <laughs> wow, she's tough. Uh, yeah. Too bad she didn't kill him. Uh, yeah. A few days later, he breaks into the home of Josephine Krager, a bank employee in La Honda. He was arrested by a San Mateo County Sheriff's deputy hiding in brush behind the home with a shotgun. Ew. Ew. I was going to say that definitely couldn't be his first crime mm-hmm. to, like, break into someone's house and abduct someone. Like, that's not... Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, like, so extreme. Like, this dude is the worst. Nope, exactly. So brazen. So brazen just to walk in. Okay, and then the other thing, how old is Bart? Bart's pretty old. Yeah, it was active in the 70s? Holy shit. Bart was built in 1972. September 11th, 1972. I mean, I just assumed that Bart was, like, as old as I was. Um... Let's see. So, obviously, so he's arrested. In 1977, he's sentenced to a term of 1 to 25 years in prison for May's kidnapping. How is 1 even an option? In 1982, he's paroled. I believe that's five years later. For kidnapping? Five Uh. years later for kidnapping... He is paroled. So the thing that I don't get is, like, with violent crimes, Mm -hmm. you can't bring up previous crimes a lot of the time. You should. But I feel like like that's really relevant. (laughs) I mean, yeah, if you make a mistake or whatever, like, I understand why they do it. But for a lot of them, it's like, okay, well, if the jury had known or if the judge had known. Well, I think it's that they don't want they don't want the jury to be influenced because they're trying to decide if this is an action, you know, if you did this crime. And if they know that you have a crime spree and say you didn't commit the crime, but someone is charging you with it, they'd be more likely to say, oh, yeah, he did it. Knowing your criminal history, I think that's what they're guarding. against. No, I understand that. But the flip side is like if you've been convicted of all these other crimes, I don't know. I don't know, like, and they know for sure you did it. They, like, found you crouching in a bush with a knife. Like, I feel like those other crimes <laughs> a are gun. relevant. A sorry, gun! A gun! I feel like those other crimes are relevant, and people should know. So yeah, you don't get one year think, yeah. to five years. Ugh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then two years after he's paroled, at the age of 30, somehow he finds a girlfriend who wants to be his criminal accomplice. Oh, good. A winner. How these people find each other. So delightful Sue Edwards. <laughs> Fucking Sue Edwards. Um, so Davis and Edwards, you know, decide yeah. to live the life of crime, and they basically assault Selena Verich, who, oh, is, a fr- who is a friend Oh, Sue God. Edward's sister. Um, they were all hanging out in her apartment, and then they pistol whipped her <gasps> and forced her to withdraw six thousand dollars from her bank account. Good friends. Yes. Um, and then Davis and Edwards proceed to rob 
a yogurt cup shop, whatever of, that is. Of just all like, their I, I, yogurt All the yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> They're on a dairy spree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't imagine that they would make out with much from a yogurt cup shop. But they also rob two banks and a value giant store, which I'm not sure what that is, and a red steer restaurant. That sounds um, like so. That's like so cowboy country. <laughs> yep, yep. Rob that red steer restaurant. They were later caught after an officer pulled them over for a defective tail light. Womp womp. Oh <laughs> and um, Davis later confessed in an attempt to implicate Edwards, who he thought had betrayed him in a plan to help him while in prison. Wow. Yeah, so, okay, that's 1984. He made did all these robberies, and he's in prison, and he gets paroled on June 27th, 1993, just three months and four days before he abducts and kills Polly Class. So, so, that, so that was nine years? Was that nine years? Let's see, 82, 82 to 90, or no, 84 to 93, you're right, nine years. Well, that was a good stint. <laughs> right. But he just, like, can't keep himself clean. Like, yeah, he, well, no. Um, he just goes and goes and goes. Like, he just can't stop committing crimes. Wow. And they're just, like, the worst of the worst. It's just awful shit. His thing for the poly class thing was he didn't, he said he didn't plan it. Um, his sister lived up in Ukiah, so one day he got... Uh, permission to go because he was like on parole or whatever so he got permission to go up to Ukiah um, and visit his sister and he, like Petaluma is halfway to Ukiah about from where he was living in San Mateo so yeah, yeah. I think um, he probably stopped in Petaluma for like a rest or whatever on the way to his sister's and then five days later he was back in Petaluma and that's when he committed the crime so just totally unfortunate Major coincidence. Yeah. So so there's, like, a, a park across the street from Polly's house that people said, like, there tend to be, like, people hanging out there, like, you know, smoking weed, drinking alcohol during that mm-hmm. time. So that maybe he he claims that he was so, like, that he bought a bunch of beer, drank it, bought some weed that he thinks might have been laced with PCP, oh, but he yeah, wasn't okay. sure. Yeah, just, like, mm-hmm. excuses after excuses. Because he says, basically... He doesn't remember the night. He remembers, like, drinking a bunch and being depressed because he was trying to find his mom's house, which I don't know why you wouldn't know where your mom's house is in Petaluma, but and I don't, there's no, there's no real record of her even living in Petaluma, um, but he says that he was going to look for her house and he couldn't find it, so he decides to drink and smoke. He remembers being in her house and maybe grabbing a kitchen knife tying up the girls and then he, the next thing he knows, he's driving in his car and he sees, like, a a kid sitting next to him and so he's like what the fuck did I do but that's all bullshit okay but yeah because he was like hanging outside of the house for hours he didn't just like walk into someone's house not to mention he had a bag with him that had bindings and tape and stuff and like so the the bindings that they had ended up finding were what they thought maybe was like um like a piece because it was like silky so it like looked like it maybe it was like a piece of lingerie that had been cut into strips Mm. and they found fibers of that in his car as if he had gotten it before and cut it in his car 
and brought it oh. with him. So it's like, no, you had all this shit with you. Like you, this had to have been pre-planned or something. But the weird, the weird thing is like, I don't know. I don't know the fact that her mom took a sleeping pill. Like, how did he know that the adult at home would be incapacitated? Well, he didn't. I don't think, I don't know necessarily that he like targeted them specifically, but I think like that night he was out to get someone to do something because he had all that stuff, you know? That's just so shitty. But yeah, so basically his entire life he was an asshole. Couldn't stay out of jail. And um, now he's on death row still. Well, and it sounds like he was diagnosable and was diagnosed. Yeah. Do you think they'd give him like psychological reviews in prison to be like, oh yeah, this dude shouldn't be paroled because he's going to just fuck up everyone's life. The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The toss salad a scrambled egg the toss salad the toss salad and the scrambled egg a scrambled egg so a toss salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway right so the toss salad has more components the person is able to com- compartmentalize and a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. So we're going to do a segment that we like to call Toss Salads or Scrambled Eggs. Because I forgot to say one of our other qualifications at the beginning of the show. Oh, yes. We know all of our psychology from Frasier. So I'm a Jungian. Are you a Freudian? We should all be Jungians, to be honest. He actually knew. But so we're going to say you're a toss salad if you just kind of like, I mean, I would say like the organized, disorganized thing, except for that's not like always accurate, but it's kind of loosely based off of like an organized. Right. Like if you're a scrambled egg, you're just fucked in the head. Like you are, you have. So this is a really good example because I'm thinking this dude is a scrambled egg because there's no helping him. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think as you can see, like from the beginning of just like a neglectful childhood and not having like role models and probably trying having to fend for his siblings. I'm not sure if that's true at all. Well, and who knows like what his parents were dealing with if they had like, you know, comorbidity and dealing with something and they were self-medicating with alcohol or if like alcohol made them like a little bit mentally unstable like you don't know if it was nature nurture both everything right because I didn't even think about like you had said earlier with the dad and the drinking that that might cause hallucinations and losing his mind too because I was just thinking like oh maybe the dad it, it you know has like diagnosable schizophrenia or something like that where like maybe he was predisposed to having this yeah cuckoo bananas mindset but also it just like he fits the antisocial personality disorder so well because he just it just like blatantly obvious throughout his life he just didn't give a fuck like every year he committed at least one crime mostly at the beginning they were burglaries a lot of like drunk in public drunk in you know dui like substance-based arrests and then slowly started turning into violent things just complete disregard for other human beings or their boundaries or safety or 
So I guess I'll do mine. Ooh, I'm excited. I get to be a listener now. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's really exciting. Okay, so for mine, I chose The Murder of Lacey Peterson because this one was like, I remember this one. This was like really intense when it was happening and um, it was like pretty close to home and just wait till you hear I have like, anyway, so I got a lot of this from a Rolling Stone article, Wikipedia, psychology today, uh, the Modesto B. And I remember like a couple years ago, FX came out with like a multi-part series, um, that was like pretty favorable to Scott Peterson. Mm-hmm. So I was like convinced that he did it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, not so sure. And then after reading the, it's like, I always go back and forth. So I'm curious to see what you have to say. Um, but so here we go. Lacey Peterson went missing on Christmas Eve in 2002. She was eight months pregnant and she was 26. Oh my God. Holy shit. I know. Baby. That's so young. Ugh. She was a baby. Christmas and pregnant um, and a oh, baby. And a baby. Okay. So a little bit about her. She was born on May 4th, 1975. And I almost, <laughs> I was thinking about doing like, <laughs> like horoscopes and like numerology oh. for everyone but then I didn't do it because I thought I'd get a little too woo-woo so I didn't do it but um anyway she was born in Modesto her parents owned a dairy farm and she like helped out on the farm when she was little and she'd like garden with her mom and it just seemed like so sweet and she her parents got divorced when she was really little and then her stepdad got involved in her life and she was like really young so he really like considered her his kid and she like they like really connected she was like a cheerleader in high school um and went to cal poly where she majored in ornamental horticulture whoa i didn't even know that was a thing that's dope i know i want to major in ornamental horticulture (laughs) also that's a tongue twister ornamental horticulture ornamental horticulture (laughs) okay um and then she met Scott Peterson in 1994 at a restaurant. Her friend like worked at this restaurant and she'd go and visit her. And he also worked at the restaurant. Um, and she like made the first move and gave him her number. And she told her mom that she met the guy that she was going to marry. Like after she gave him his, her phone number. Wow. I know. Um, and then they like dated for two years and moved in together. They got married in 1997 they moved from San Luis Obispo, where they're both in school, back to Modesto so that Lacey could be close to her family because she wanted to start one of their own. Um, and then she became a substitute teacher. She oh, was a substitute teacher. Shit. I know. This, like, hits home. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott took a job at a fertilizer company where he earned, apparently he earned $5,000 a month in, like, the late 90s selling fertilizer and other um Supplies, like agricultural supplies. Huh. Where, um, did you say where... And then Lacey's family... Sorry, did you say where he was from? No, not yet. I'm going to talk about him in a minute. Oh, okay. Um, Lacey's family said that she, like, loved being a homemaker, and she took a lot of pride in, like, setting up the house, like, perfectly and cooking and, like, doing all the homemaker stuff. And so she was, like, excited when she was pregnant because she, like, was living out her dream. Hmm. So she just sounds like a really sweet, wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and so now let's talk a little bit about Scott. Scott was born October 24th, 1972, in San Diego. Hmm. 
his parents were both business owners and then he had a half brother. Um, he wanted to be a professional golfer (laughs) and I guess he was pretty, he was actually pretty good at golfing. Um, and he went to Arizona state originally, but he was kicked off the golf team because he took some dude out drinking with him to go drinking and pick up chicks. Um, and the next day the dude had a really bad hangover. So it like affected his golf or whatever. And the dude's dad called the golf team coach or whatever and got Scott kicked off because he was afraid it would interview interfere with his son's like golfing career. What the fuck? Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. So then Scott switched to a different college and then a different college after that. And then he ended up at Cal Poly where his professors described him as a model student. They like got married and then he graduated at some point. He went to school for like international business originally, but then switched to like agricultural business or something. And then he had his first affair shortly after they got married. Huh. So we don't know how many affairs he actually had, but she knew about one of his affairs. And that one happened like really early on in their marriage. So just give you a little idea about Scott. All right. All right. So here we go. Here's like the story. This I got from like different sources, which there's like little conflicting stuff and I just kind of like got what the most common story was um and some of it comes from Scott himself and like what he said happened so we'll just go into it on Christmas Eve Lacey woke up before Scott and maybe showered and then ate breakfast um and then Scott got up a little later and they watched the Martha Stewart show together and he said that he remembered there was like a part about meringue Mm -hmm. which was on the show but it was on at nine 49 that morning on the Martha Stewart show Mm -hmm. and the day before Martha Stewart did like a whole segment on meringue so some people are like oh maybe he mixed up the two or like the timing of this all is like very curious what time did he say wait what time did he say he got up so he said he got up around like eight maybe and Lacey had gotten Mm -hmm. up before him but the show wasn't on until 9. Well, the show was probably started at like 9, yeah. And then at 9.49 uh. is when she mentioned meringue. <gasps> so Scott said that Lacey had planned on mopping the floor, baking cookies, and walking the dog to a nearby park. My God. How quaint. Baking cookies. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, she's like eight months pregnant. She's like huge and probably not feeling great. And she's still going to do like the perfect Christmas thing. There's also like someone said on some article that she was planning on going shopping for a few more things, but I don't know about that. Uh, Most people said that she was like going to mop the floor and then like walk the dog. Mm. So then Scott made a phone call at or near the home at 10.08 a.m. And then he left to go fishing and then Lacey apparently took the dog for a walk. But another article I read said that Lacey's sister said that she had been told not to walk anymore for the rest of her pregnancy because she was so pregnant. Mm. So there's kind of like, it's like iffy whether or not she would have taken the dog for a walk. And they also said that the trail, they said that she was supposedly on, she had never walked that trail before. And at the beginning of that trail is like a really steep hill that would have been really hard for her to get up because apparently she was like out of breath a lot because she was like so mm. pregnant and she was like a tiny person and she She's was like, like carrying a human being yeah. inside her yeah like almost <laughs> fully formed human being so anyway that's like kind of iffy too so later the that day around conflicting stories again it was either at 10 18 or 10 30 a neighbor found their dog 
Mackenzie, a golden retriever, wandering in the front of the house with his leash on. So she put him back into their yard and just like, I guess, didn't really think much of it, which I think is like, I don't know. I think that's like super weird, but Uh, yeah. So then after Scott left home, he said he went to his warehouse, which is only nine minutes away. He sent some emails and got his boat. He had like just bought this boat not that long ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And this happened around 1030. He took his boat to the Berkeley Marina. Mm -hmm. Oh, hi. (laughs) And went fishing. So the Berkeley Marina was about 90 minutes away from their house. So they, I mean, I've, I've read that he drove like 90 minutes to the Berkeley Marina. Basically, it took him like 15 minutes to boat out to this island that he said he like went to to fish. And then it would take him like 15 minutes to get back and then like an hour and a half to get back home. So I read that he wasn't really out there for that long. But anyway, he initially told other people, including Lacey's sister, the day before when she was cutting his hair that he was planning on going golfing on the 24th. But then he said that like he woke up that morning and then made a last minute decision that it was too cold to golf. So he went out to the Berkeley <laughs> arena. Fishing? Instead, which that water is fucking cold. It's too cold yeah. to golf, but you're going to go around water? In the bay. Like the bay is so cold. Yeah. I mean, if it's too cold on your little golfing field, yeah, There's if there's wind on your golf course it's gonna be way windy it's just gonna be like way cold it's just cold like december Uh -uh. in the bay it's just cold so and then the other kind of thing he bought a two-day fishing license like three days earlier and filled it in for the 23rd and the 24th but he told everyone that he was planning on golfing on the 24th but like three days earlier it seemed like he had planned on fishing Hmm. anyway so it there, seems like he's setting up an alibi. Well, it seems like it. And then there are time-stamped emails and a marina receipt to back up the time that he was at the warehouse and then the time that he was at the marina. Mm-hmm. And then So he was actually there. Right, he was actually at work and then he was actually like at the marina. And then he called Lacey uh-huh. at some point and left a message. So he had planned the day before when he was getting his haircut, he said he was going to go pick up a fruit basket or something for Lacey's dad like on Christmas Eve. So he left this message and it said, hey, beautiful, I just left a message at home. It's 2.15. I'm leaving Berkeley. I won't be able to get to Vela Farms to get that basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and go out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. Hmm. So kind of suspicious where he's like telling the time and that he's like leaving Berkeley, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I could see it both ways. Either right. like he just is someone that always announces the time, or <laughs> and like just wants her to, to see, I mean, like I, I'm checking in at this time <laughs> or whatever. Or or if you're like a business person, maybe that's like standard practice to be like, hey, I'm leaving this message at this time. Maybe I mean, maybe. although it's like, well, this this was a a voice message. Yeah, so I guess he had called their house and no one answered, so then he called her cell phone and left this as a voice message. Oh, I guess I could see that more as a voice message, because you don't necessarily, when it's like, you have two messages, like, you don't necessarily know what time it is when they called, so if she got it and she was like, okay, he called at this time, so if she got the message, like, in the evening, she would know 
you know, it's too late to go get the flower or the basket or whatever. Right. Like, I could see it if it was a voice message. Right. So I could see it. I mean, I could see it either way. Um, and yeah, like you said, we don't know how he usually talks or how he like what messages he leaves usually if he includes the time or what. But um, so then he went back to his warehouse and dropped his boat off. And well, then... sorry, but especially if it's a time sensitive thing, because like if if the shop is going to close at a certain time to get the basket, he needs her to know, like, I left this message at this time to like cover his ass. That, like, um... I couldn't get there. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Well, no, just to be like. This is the time, right. you know, that I'm calling you. So, because it's a time like the the store is gonna close. So if you don't get it in time, well, also, I don't but know. then I anyway. think that kind of shows like how selfish he is in a way, where it's like he said that he'd get this basket, and it was gonna happen last minute anyway. And then he decides to go fishing, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I did the thing I wanted to do, so I couldn't get the basket for your dad." And you're at home like baking cookies I mean, and running around. So why don't you just do it? Yeah. I just feel like I that's, totally like, agree. selfish. She's yeah. eight months pregnant. Like, I, like, I decided, yeah, I decided yeah. to go fishing. Yeah. Can you go and, get the basket as you're slaving away on the cookies and walking the dog and, and doing the all the house. Mopping yeah. the floor. So that's just kind of, like, it just shows, like, a little window into, like, his character, I think. I mean, I don't know what Christmas Eve meant for them. Definitely. But for me, it's, like, you want to spend time with your family and help them get stuff done. Like. Well, to me, it also sounds like. It sounds like he's making this alibi, but also that it sounds to me almost like, you know, knowing his past of cheating and stuff, that he's doing all this to cover his tracks of like, oh, yeah, honey, I went to the Berkeley Marina. You can Mm. see my timestamp and I'm telling you that I'm in Berkeley, like, but I'm also just hooking up with my girlfriend. Right, that could be it, too. So then, so when he got home, he didn't notice anything like weird at first, he said. He did think it was weird that the dog had his leash on still mm-hmm. and that the door was unlocked. <laughs> so, yeah, obvious. I mean, okay. He's either, like, an idiot or, like, he's just trying to be all diabolical. <laughs> so he initially told Lacey's mom that the dog – he found the dog in, like, the backyard. Um, and Lacey's car was also in the driveway when he got home. So you'd think that she would be there, you know? Right. Um, so then he put his clothes in the washer, he grabbed a snack and showered, and then he called his mother-in-law, Sharon, because he thought Lacey had gone over to her house, um, which maybe if, if her mom was going to come pick her up, like mm-hmm. maybe her car would be there. Mm-hmm. It was probably hard for her to drive when she was like so pregnant. I know. Too. How do you so maybe that was the like, steering wheel? I don't know. I was just, I was literally just trying to imagine <laughs> that. I don't know. Um, so maybe that was normal that her car would be in the driveway if she was at her mom's house so this was around 5 15 and a half hour later Lacey's stepdad called the police to report her missing so that also like why didn't he call the police but well and especially if like he's got all this time to like search the house and be there and like as soon as he lets the the stepfather know the stepfather's like something's not right I'm calling the police like well the weird thing was like I don't know how long they spent on the phone but I feel like it's really easy to pick up the phone and just be like hey is Lacey over there and her mom being like no and then he could be like okay well that's weird because she didn't answer my phone call let me like search the house and then call the police or you know yeah <laughs> yeah not yeah. I don't know yep. happened, suspicious but, suspicious yeah, uh-huh. but you know or like you said he's just a fucking diabolical narcissist who's just like doesn't really care about her right or maybe it's like okay well maybe <sighs> yes it doesn't make sense because if he was worried that she didn't make it there but she obviously didn't drive her car there mm-hmm. so she didn't get in a car accident you know her mom would have known because her mom would have been in the car too I don't know 
it's like suspicious. Mm. Suspicious. So then uh, when the police first got to the house, they found Lacey's keys, wallet, and sunglasses in her purse in the closet. In the closet? Yeah. I mean, mom does that. She'll, she'll, put, she'll hide her purse in the house. Oh. She always gets mad when I like leave my shit out on the counter and she's like, someone could open the door and just take it. I'm like, oh. well, if someone opens the door, we have bigger problems. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, no. So that's like common to hide your, okay. hide your stuff, okay. I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm just irresponsible and leave my shit everywhere, but. Or maybe they had like hooks on the closet door where, where yeah, I'm sure. she just stores her purse or something. I'm sure she okay. was very organized, like from what it sounds like. Okay. Um, and then the dinner table was meticulously set for dinner for the next evening. And another weird thing is I read that a telephone book was out and open to a full page ad for a defense lawyer. Huh. So either I mean, we don't do phone books anymore, but I don't know. Maybe she was looking for something and got distracted and just like flipped it open and mm-hmm. then got distracted. Or I don't know. But that was just like kind of a weird, a weird thing. Hmm. Um, they also said that the house smelled like bleach, which I've heard conflicting reports that that was like made up or a lie or it was like conflicting. At the same time, like if she had mopped the floor. That's what I was just thinking. If she was just like using bleach and water or something to mop to clean the floor that maybe or that's, he had bleach you know. to clean up i mean and that seems a little bit more correct but you know <laughs> but you can't really you know you can't <laughs> capture that smell so it's like it, some people say that that mm. it did smell like bleach and some people said that that was like made up or i don't know so the thing is like scott was an early suspect wait who's the one who said it smelled like bleach i don't one of the police officers oh okay okay it wasn't it's Scott like, being like, oh, it smells like bleach. In here. <laughs> he wouldn't if he was, okay, I don't know. Okay. Um, so then police were suspicious. He was like an early suspect, obviously, because he's the mm-hmm. husband. Um, and they also thought it was weird that he was so calm. Like, he was mm. very calm through the whole thing. Um, and he initially told police that he had been golfing. Which he had told oh. other people that he was golfing on Christmas Eve. Like, he even told them that day that he had been golfing. Um, what? Yeah, but then he later changed the story that he had been fishing. So that's uh, weird, too. Huh? Okay, and then, so they were, like, really suspicious that he was so unemotional and just really unaffected. And that he didn't ask, like, any questions. Like, he didn't ask for follow-up. He didn't ask for their contact information to check mm. in. Um, so the police set up some of their like little tests and they said that he failed them. He refused to take a polygraph numerous times, which I read later on that one of his family members said not to do it. Like he was going to do it, but then they said not to, but his family is like kind of suspect too. Well, but also any lawyer would tell you not to take it. Well, yeah. And I wouldn't take it. Like, no, yeah, they're, they, they don't mean anything. They're inadmissible in court anyway. Also, he probably would have passed because he seems like such a cool customer. <laughs> a cool cookie. <laughs> um, and the police also said that like the following days he didn't really ask right, any right, questions right. or try to keep up with the investigation at all. Which that's weird. It is weird, but also I feel like the police always say, "Well, I don't know," because I've never been in this situation. But every time I talk (laughs) on TV, right. Okay. They're always saying like, okay, if anything comes up, we'll let you know, like, we'll keep you informed as to what's going on. They kind of like give you the brush off because they don't want you to be in their face all the time. 
So maybe they did the whole like, okay, and if anything comes up, you can let us know or we'll let you know. You know, maybe he trusted that they were going to like actually do their job. You, Yeah, you would assume that you would be like, well, what happened? <laughs> yeah, or like some concern, like she's missing at this point. So like just some concern of like, what can I do? You know, should I like go look? Like, I don't know. I feel like there'd be more questions. Or like, what are you doing to find her? You know, or what can I do to help? Like, can I, yeah. should I, what is more helpful? Should I stay home and wait for her to come yes. home? Should I be like out looking for her? Should I, do we have, like, should I go to all the spots that we usually go to as a family or, you know? Right. I mean, I feel like you'd probably have some questions. Like he couldn't remember the kind of bait that he used and he had had freshwater fishing equipment and said he didn't know what he was fishing for. Oh, yeah. He was fishing so, for ladies. <laughs> so he, I mean, that could, that could be it, though. He could just be, like, a real asshole who just, like, cheats on his wife all the time, and maybe this is just, like, part of his cheating behavior. Well, it sounds like, like, if, if this wasn't a murder case, <laughs> and I just, like, heard, you know, oh, he was he was fishing, and he can't keep his story straight, and he's just, like checking into places but only being there for like a very short time and yet like he's still like in Berkeley and can't come pick up a basket like yeah what the fuck like um to me that sounds like he's covering up his tracks for cheating or yeah so he's probably used to doing that so maybe these are like old behaviors that are coming out where he's like don't ask right. questions like just keep to your story whatever but I mean he he is like this isn't the first fishing boat that he had bought so he would know, I don't know, like, you'd know kind of, like, what is around when you're fishing, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a fisher at all, so. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you wouldn't just go out to some body of water and not have an idea of the fish you're looking for and what they eat. Unless Otherwise... he's really not a fisher and just buys boats to go and sit in the middle of, like, quiet solitude. which With his ladies. <laughs> Which, whatever, I mean, yeah, so it's just, yeah, weird. Um, They also said that his priorities were super strange, and this is, like, really weird. They said that he wasn't really concerned about Lacey, but his car door hitting his other car door in the driveway, or the fact that they were, like, taking pictures of his boat, or that they were, like, trying to get a receipt of the pink slip. He, when he bought the boat, he asked the guy to register it for him. Like, under the other guy's name? Yeah, I guess. And then when he didn't have registration for it, he was like, oh, I thought that the guy that I bought it from was going to register it. Or maybe under his name. But, it's like, nobody does that. Weird. So, it's kind of like, maybe he didn't want people to know that he had a boat. I was, like, planning on getting rid of it. I don't know. Weird. Um... And then also this one's like super weird. He asked what kind of sunglasses the tracking dog people wore. He was interested in the glasses. Yeah, he liked their sunglasses. He's probably like, uh, mm, I like those Oakleys. I need to get me a pair. So he sounds very narcissistic. He's just only thinking yes. about himself always. Yeah, or maybe he was trying to like charm them because maybe he was like kind of nervous that the tracking dogs were around. So he's kind of charmed them by like, Oh, hey, your sunglasses are cool. <laughs> Six I don't know. shades, bro. And then he also asked, like, I think, like, on Christmas, he asked the police if they were going to use cadaver dogs before mm. he even knew that she was dead. 
What the fuck? Which they thought was like super weird. And then they found his boat cover soaked in gasoline, like tucked on the edge of the shed, like their garage or where the warehouse or something. And it was like under a leaf blower. And he said the leaf blower must have leaked, but they're like, no, that's a lot of alcohol. I mean, that's a lot of gasoline. So they think that he thought the gasoline would cover up a cadaver smell. Hmm. And if they were going to use cadaver dogs, hmm. for some huh. reason, her smell would be on the... So I don't know. That was another kind of like, mm. Okay, so then there was like a massive search for Lacey. Over 900 people were involved over the course of a few days. They searched with helicopters, horseback, bikes. They had canine mm. units, water rescue units. Like 30 officers were searching it was like it was huge, um, but they didn't find her. The day after Christmas, the police searched their home, and this is when all the media was there, and they were like filming everything, um, and they really liked him as a suspect because it was like super juicy. Uh, they thought he was like good looking and charming, and like this this young couple. Oh yeah, he'll they'll sell stories. For sure. Yeah, this, like, young pregnant woman and this, like, handsome, charming dude killed her. I don't know. So um, they were, like, on him all the time. And people from both sides of the case began to leak information and rumors to the media. There was a rumor. This one's ridiculous. There's a rumor that Lacey had been murdered by a satanic cult. Oh, that's always a good rumor. I love <laughs> It's a classic. Yeah, but I thought that was, like, over in the 80s. I guess it's, like, still a thing. And then there's a rumor that Scott had a mistress, and there's, Mm -hmm. like, they were just all trying to sway the public. Um, And it was on the news all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And then, from the beginning, Lacey's family was, like, really emotional, obviously, and they're acting as, like, you know, someone, people in crisis, and they actually really supported Scott and defended him at first. Scott was a totally different story he let her family kind of take the forefront of like all the interviews and the public pleas and everything and he just like seemed very cold the whole time which we don't know how people are going to react obviously but I think I remember hearing that like he was emotional but didn't want like the cameras to see him be emotional or I think he I don't know it all depends on what your opinion is of him Then, on December 31st, they held a vigil for Lacey and her baby, Connor, um, and Scott refused to speak. Oh. And this is where some pictures came from. Do you remember? Do you remember how, like, damning these pictures were? Um, In one picture, he's smiling while putting down a candle with his knees, and in another, he's, like, laughing, and they're like, this isn't how you would, like, be at a, a... vigil for your pregnant wife who's who's missing missing. she's like missing i mean i understand you know at funerals like laughter is super important and yeah but when you're i don't know i mean maybe there were like funny moments and maybe he is just trying to feel better like i understand that and they just like caught those moments maybe sure yeah that's always i mean i could see it either way um 
And then Nancy Grace, of course, loved this story. She was like all about Scott Peterson did it. She was like the driving force behind a lot of the news stories. And she just like tore apart everything he did. Mm. She knew he did it and was determined to convince everyone. Some of her criticisms were that he was not sad enough or emotional enough. He wasn't panicked enough. He was good looking. He was charming. And he was lying. Which is like, okay, well, you can't convict someone for being good looking. Uh, <laughs> He's too ridiculously good looking. I we know. must put him away. <laughs> Nobody with a face like that should be let loose on the public. Uh huh. Okay, so this is this is when the story got even juicier. Ooh, juicy. So Scott had been having an affair mm-hmm. with a woman named Amber Fry. Oh yeah. This is not his first affair, as we have heard. Uh huh. And he called Amber during Lacey's vigil. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. And he said that he was in Paris for the new year. Oh. Yeah. With friends. Um, um, just a casual Paris funeral. Yeah. Let me just talk to my like girlfriend at my missing wife's vigil and just God. pretend I'm having the best time in Paris. So he. Um, what a fucking tool. Also, like, this is televised, and he's just, like, thinking that she's never going to find out. I don't understand. I really don't understand this. Um, So Amber... Yeah, that's true. Like, she could turn on the TV and see. Yeah. So Amber, uh, she's a massage therapist and a single mom. Um, She actually seemed like a really decent person. She seemed pretty sweet. Uh, she was set up by a friend, a friend, I'm going to say that in quotes, mm-hmm. um, in November. So they weren't even together that long. Oh, shit. He, he met the friend at a trade show where he was, for his business, he, he told uh-huh. the friend that he was single and looking. He also oh. said, this is so gross, he also said that he should put horny bastard on a name tag to help him pick up women. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, that'll help. That's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, so I guess wow. he was like, he was really trying to get at this woman, and she was like, "No, I'm engaged, and I'm not like a shitty person, so no." And then he like asked her to set him up with any of his friends, with any of her friends. So she set him up with Amber, which I'm like, you're not a real friend if you set your like sweet friend up with his dick. Like, you suck. <laughs> He must have been, like, somewhat manipulative if, like... Well, everyone says he's super charming. people keep falling for him. I mean, if, um, you know, Lacey, who seems like a very so sweet, sweet yeah. person, was, like, falling for him. Like, he seems like, you know, he must be really... Ridiculously good-looking. Really, really <laughs> ridiculously good-looking and so, charming. actually. Criminally. <laughs> um, so they met on November 20th. In person on November 20th. So this relationship is, like, very short. Um, In early December, there was, like, a picture of them, like, super cozy at a holiday party. Remember that picture? Uh She was, like, sitting on his lap, I think. And they were just, like, yeah. Um, And then on December 9th, Scott had told Amber that his wife had died. No, that he had lost his wife. That's what it was. He had lost his wife. And this was going to be his first Christmas without her. Fuck. On the 9th? On the 9th of December. After knowing her for, like, a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they also said that he, like, fake cried a lot. Like, he fake Ew. cried when he told her that. He fake cried when he told the friend, their mutual friend that he had, like, lost his wife. 
Um, yeah, no, it's like not good. So on December 30th, Amber found out about Lacey and then she immediately like called the police and was like, I'm, I've been dating this guy. So part of it is, I remember her saying that she didn't watch the news. She's kind of like a new agey, like Mm -hmm. she seemed chill. I would, I would hang out with her, but she like, yeah, she was not, she didn't watch the news. So I think that Scott Mm. probably thought that she was like a safe bet that she would never find out because, but she has like friends and stuff, you know? And I think one of her friends said something about it to her. And then she turned on the news and was like, Oh shit. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Like, no, you're like, I have this cool new boyfriend. And like, he's really sad because his wife died and like all this. And then your friend's like, uh, turn on channel five. (laughs) Yeah. Guess what? He's not in Europe. Uh, He's like here in town at his wife's fucking memorial service or whatever. Or vigil. Well, So I think, I think Amber lived in Fresno Uh and then he lived in, um, Oh God, I just like Modesto. Yeah, Modesto. Thank you. Yeah. So there's like some distance. I mean, not, not yeah. that much distance, but there's some okay. distance between the two. But still, like this dude is such an idiot, though. <laughs> you know? I don't know. So then she started recording. December 30th, she like told them about it. And then the police set her up to record all of their conversations. Mm. This is how she got the vigil conversation where he told her that he was in Paris with friends. Oh. They, she recorded over 29 hours of phone conversations with him over the course of this like situation. Wow. Like she was a badass. Wow. She like held it together too. Like, can you imagine pretending that you still like love this guy and like you're still into and have it? no and that you have no idea what's going on? Yes. <laughs> I would. I don't even know. I could not. Like, wow, wow. Okay, and then she did this until January 24th when she actually announced to the public that she was. Um, in a relationship with Scott because the National Enquirer had gotten a picture of the two oh, of them no. and was going to publish it. So then she wanted to get ahead of the story. So she was talking to him like while knowing from December 30th to January 24th. Oh my God. And she like held it together for that long. Oh my God. Yeah. Can't amazing. even imagine that. I can't either. <laughs> I can't either. I mean, she must have been like, oh. And Lacey was still missing at this time. So just like. Yeah. Okay. So then um, when Lacey's family found out, they they were like, okay, fuck you, Scott. And they like turned on him and they didn't believe him anymore. Good. Um, In late January, Scott did an interview with Good Morning America and it was like the biggest disaster. So Diane Sawyer interviewed him and he could not have done worse. He (sighs) lied. He said that he had told the police about his affair the day Lacey went missing and that she was, like, okay with it. Um, He told police their marriage was fine and, like, he kept referring to his wife in the past tense when he'd say things about her. Oh, no. It was just, like, really bad. Um, Okay, now we're going to get into, like, the sad part. Okay. On April 13th, Connor's body was found in Richmond's Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park. Isn't that where you walk Zephyr? Oh my God. Yes. yes. Can you imagine? Oh my locals God. Yes. Walking That's my best their dog, dog park. Saw oh him. my God. I can't even imagine. Yes. Especially with the dogs like running around in the water down there and the muck. And like, oh yes. my God. That's fucking tragic. 
it's awful. When I read that, I was like, oh, oh my, my god. god. <laughs> Fuck, uh, dude, that's I know both both of these stories. I'm just like, I know all these places. <laughs> like, yep. I don't know how many like meditative journeys we've taken there where it's like a lovely walk with all the dogs. And it's like, oh, now it has like a whole new, whole new meaning. So they saw his well-preserved and decomposing body washed ashore. A quarter inch of his umbilical cord was still attached, which is about the size of a belly button. And it looked as though it had been torn and not cut. Um, There was also one and a half loops of nylon tape found around his neck. And there was like a lot of little cuts on his body. So the loop could have been ocean garbage which unfortunately uh-huh. our oceans are landfills so trashy um uh-huh. and then of course little cuts could have been you know from being in the water yeah the next day about a mile away um Lacey's body was found it was the body of a recently pregnant woman she was oh, wearing beige pants and a maternity bra and her body oh. was so decomposed it was almost unrecognizable as a human body <gasps> Isn't that awful? Oh, my God. What? She had been decapitated, and her limbs were missing, including most of her legs. Like, her hands were gone. Okay, so they just found a torso. Basically. It was, like, a torso, and, like, I think she had part of her, like, left leg. It was just, like, really awful. Oh, my God. What the? No, it was awful. Um, Hopefully they had that whole area roped off at that point. I don't know. Um, but that's so traumatizing hopefully Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ I know and then DNA confirmed it was them when I got to this part I was like I can't even like how do people read this (laughs) this shit this is so sad (laughs) Um, but I felt like it was important so I'm gonna talk about it yeah because some monster fucked this woman up well okay so DNA confirmed it was them she had suffered two cracked ribs two or three maybe but I don't it said two um, and then it was uncertain if it happened before or after death. Right. Her organs were all gone except what? for her uterus. <gasps> and then the pathologist determined that the ba- baby had been expelled from her decaying body. <gasps> he couldn't determine if Connor had been born alive or dead. And his findings were like a bit contradictory, but it's just really mm. sad. They said that, like, her being in the water, and then he, like, came out somehow, and then it was bad. Um, I don't know about the organ thing. That's just really weird to me. Um, The only thing I can think of is if her body had been washed up for a while there. Like, usually animals eat organs. Maybe, but it didn't say that it looked like an animal Mm. had gone to her. I don't know, but it was so decomposed. I don't know. Um, And then... So this is also kind of conflicting. Divers um, using sonar checked out the Berkeley Marina on January 5th. And one story said that a lot of stories said they found nothing. And then one story said that they thought that they saw something, but like a storm was coming. So they had to like get out of the water. Mm. But they thought that they had maybe found a body, but they had no proof of it because they had to get out of the water and they couldn't like keep exploring so police arrested scott on april 18th on a golf course in san diego he had been staying with his family down there and then do you remember what he was found with uh remind me okay 
So he was found with his and his brother's IDs, four cell phones, almost $15,000, 12 Viagra pills, survival gear, several changes of clothes, camping gear. Um, I read that he had like knives and just like a shit ton of shit. And then remember he had bleached his hair blonde. Oh, yeah. Which looked super douchey. Super good. <laughs> um, and he had grown out his beard. He looked awful. <laughs> um, and police suspected he was going to flee to Mexico. But his father said that he was living outside of his car, which was a Mercedes. Uh, uh, um, and that he had been using his brother's ID to get a discount at the golf course. Uh, hmm. And then someone else said someone else said that like his sister or someone had accidentally withdrawn all that money from his bank account, oh. and then gave it to him so that he could pay bills. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I hate when I accidentally get access to your, your bank account. <laughs> I mean, you're, and like, just always like taking out tens with, of thousands of dollars in my bank account. millions of dollars accidentally, and then so I So then get, I can pay my bills in yeah, cash. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, hey, I accidentally took all this money, but, like, luckily I gave it back to you, and you can pay all your bills now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, yeah. Okay, okay, so Scott was charged with two murders, um, and that same month, President Bush passed Lacey and Connor's law, which criminalized harming a fetus when assaulting a pregnant woman. <laughs> I mean, like, the fact that that has to be a law is fucking ridiculous. Some reproductive rights people are saying that that was just a way to criminalize, like, abortion. Mm, oh, I could see that. So yeah. it's kind of controversial. Um yeah. But, I mean, if the baby is, like, a wanted baby, then I feel like it should be a crime. Well, the fact that, like, if you're doing some kind of damage to a person carrying a baby, whether the baby's wanted or not, and you fuck up that pregnancy, that's, you're you're committing crimes. Right. Unless it's, like, an abortion, and it's, like, early But that's not beating... Well, not, but that's not beating someone up right. or, like, harming them. Right, you're if you're, like, assaulting them. someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I got it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so this is the prosecutors. This is their story. They think that Scott killed Lacey either late on the 23rd or early the 24th, loaded her into the truck, drove to the warehouse, worked a bit, moved her into his boat, weighed her down with cement anchors that he had made, took her to the Berkeley Marina, and dumped her into the marina. Um, oh, I love that he's a DIY. Yeah, man. and then some neighbor—you've <laughs> got to be. Um, some neighbors said that they saw him loading something into his truck, and it looked like it was like blue or like wrapped in a blue tarp or something. And he said that they were like giant umbrellas. Oh, like commercial umbrellas. <laughs> right. Which I think maybe I think maybe when, they did find some big know, umbrellas. <laughs> whenever I go fishing out in the bay. When it's freezing cold, I always bring at least three giant no. umbrellas. No, I think he was taking the umbrellas to his warehouse. Oh. Um, and I think that maybe they did find umbrellas, but then the prosecutors were like, yeah, I think he was hiding the body with the umbrellas. Like, he was loading shit into his truck. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <laughs> okay. So, that's their idea of what happened. The evidence is, like, basically all circumstantial except for they found a piece of her hair on some pliers on the boat like one single strand of hair that was believed to have been hers which i mean i have long hair it gets fucking everywhere everywhere Everywhere. even places i've not been like zachary brings it so it's like i don't know 
And yeah. chances are, like, she had been around the warehouse. The or, well, some people say she didn't know about the boat. Some people say that she had. It's, like, uh, it's very questionable. Um, so the circumstantial evidence is the prosecutors claim that he made cement anchors to hold her body down because they found some cement powder at his warehouse. And then he said that he had used the cement to fill like a hole in the pavement, but then someone like checked the pavement cement said it was like a different kind of cement. And then did they find anchors with her? No, they never found the anchors. Um, did they ever find her other body parts? No. Oh, shit. So they also said that the body washed up where he said he was fishing, so that's obviously suspect. And then he <sighs> changed his appearance, bought a car in his mother's name to avoid the press, and added two porn channels to his cable a few days after his wife disappeared, proving <laughs> that he knew his wife was not coming back. Which, I don't know. Well, no, you know, I'm sure that she was okay with that, just like she was okay with the uh, affair, so, But also, like, if he's a sex addict, which kind of sounds like he is, he could have just gotten rid of the channels when she came back. Yeah. I don't know that that's, like, super strong evidence. But also, just the fact that, like, okay, so they're living in Modesto. Yeah. She has no reason to be anywhere near the Berkeley Marina during that time and her body and her son's body show up there and that's where he was boating right and the other thing is like he I feel like he is like he like obviously didn't think it through though because he thought that he could lie and say he was golfing but then for some reason he had to come out and say that he had been fishing so I mean that's kind of suspicious too because if he had been able to say he was golfing the whole time Mm -hmm then that wouldn't have been circumstantial evidence against him. Well, maybe because the, he realized that the, he had the uh, the receipt of or whatever of being... Why wouldn't you throw it away? Well, I'm sure that the marina has a copy of it, too. I'm sure that they each have a copy of oh, it. Oh, yeah. So there's record of him being there. So that once the police start mm-hmm. looking, they're going to see, huh, interesting. Like, here's your information at this boating. So he had to, like, put himself there before the cops did. Right. So weird. Okay, and then he also talked about wanting to sell the house, which I would too. Um, (laughs) And he traded in her car for a pickup truck. Oh, good. Something more useful than a wife and a car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and a baby. baby. Oh, and then I also read, I went down a Reddit rabbit hole with this, and some people are very passionate about this case. And they said that his family, like, wouldn't let her family into the house to come and get her stuff. Mm-hmm. and that they said like oh the police it's a crime scene and it like wasn't a crime scene anymore and I guess she had had some Tiffany lamps oh. um, that they wanted to get because they reminded them of her mm-hmm. and they were just like no you can't like come get any of the stuff and they were just like really awful about it Shit. so yeah I don't know I don't know about that he also obviously his affair was used as circumstantial evidence um, they said his motive was the affair, his financial problems, and yeah. impending fatherhood. But my thing is, the affair was so short. Yeah. And he'd obviously, like, had affairs, you know, before and probably was going to have some later. Like, I don't think his relationship with Amber was that important. No, but maybe it was, uh, you know, now that he has a kid, he's going to be responsible. He's going to, he can't be playing as much as he is used to being able to play. Well, I think part, I mean, that will come up 
too, where it's like he, if he had gotten a divorce, then he would have to pay child support. Right. Um, right. And like alimony and stuff, which he maybe could not afford. Mm-hmm. So that was like part of the motive. But I just don't think that his I affair mean, that's with why Amber he's, was like. That's why he's on a mission to sell all those big umbrellas. That's right. He's got to load them up the in the truck and sell them. The fertilizer wasn't doing so, so well. No, you got to invest in giant umbrellas. Yeah. He and Lacey were both, like, concerned about money. And Lacey had told a family member that Scott had not bought any baby stuff because money was tight. Which is kind of like, oh, was it that? Or was it because he didn't want to acknowledge that he was going to have a baby? Mm. He also spent almost $300 on fake diplomas. One of them was in Divinity, which is something that Amber was uh, into. Uh, so he was going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm like this doctor of divinity or some kind of weird <laughs> shit, I'm sure. Yeah. And then it was also reported that when friends and family asked if Scott had hoped for a boy or a girl, he said he was hoping for infertility. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he also told Amber that he never wanted kids, which oh. I think is kind of weird to say to like your new girlfriend who has a kid. Yeah. Damn. And then. Like I said before, he'd also told three different people um, who actually testified in court that he had been golfing that day and not fishing. Yeah. Um, so the whole case was circumstantial. So it's amazing that on November 12, 2004, he was convicted of two counts of murder. And in March of 2005, he was sentenced to death. Huh. Interesting. Um, the jury said that they thought his lack of emotion and his affair made him seem guilty. But also later that month, the governor of California, I didn't write his name down. He put a moratorium on the death penalty. So um, so Scott Peterson is also at San Quentin. Oh, my God. I wonder if they're roomies. Do you want to hear something else weird? What? I read that he or his family had claimed that he had, like, been a part of or donated money to the foundation that Polly Class's family set up. Oh, yes. Yeah. And her dad was like, I've literally never talked to him before in my life. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that they had the Polly Class Foundation. Here's, like, kind of what the FX special brought up about, like, oh, did he do it? Mm -hmm. So new evidence... (laughs) States that several people saw Lacey walking the dog after Scott had already left for the warehouse. Although those people claimed that Lacey was wearing what Scott had reported and what was included on the missing posters and not what she was found wearing. Mm-hmm. Another thing is there was another pregnant woman in the neighborhood who was like kind of similar looking to Lacey and it could have possibly been her. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the witnesses was like, they said she was an elderly woman who said that she noticed Lacey walking while she was watching a football game, but there were no football games on TV that day. Well, maybe she meant it in the European way. (laughs) (laughs) Football. Yeah, maybe. There's also a claim that Lacey confronted some shady people burglarizing a neighboring house across the street after her walk. What? And a guard at some kind of correctional facility reported that during a call between two inmates, Sean and Adam Tenbrink, their brothers, Cute. one said that his friend Todd admitted that Lacey had confronted them during the burglary on December 24th. So the burglars, this is like kind of weird and it's kind of all iffy. 
The burglars were Stephen Wayne Todd, who was 35, and Donald Glenn Pierce, who was 44. When arrested, it was reported that one of their first words were, I had nothing to do with the pregnant girl. Hmm. So police initially claimed that the burglary took place on the 26th, which was according to the burglars themselves, after they said that it had happened on the 27th when the homeowners were home on the 27th. Hmm. So that's not possible. And then they were like, oh, actually, it was the 26th. And then the police just took their word for it. (laughs) Okay. Which is kind of weird. And then the other weird thing is that there were so many news, like trucks and reporters on the streets. Like they were swarming that, that Mm -hmm. street because right across is where Lacey had been missing, like on the 26th. Right. So it's kind of iffy if like they, that they wouldn't have been seen, you know? So the, the burglars said that they entered the home around 4am and stayed three and a half hours um damn that's said, a long time to stay in a house for a burglary i know they <laughs> they were like living it up i don't know making sandwiches hanging out i don't know um they they said that they had to pick a different entry to the home because the new tr- news trucks in the area <laughs> um which i don't understand what a different entry means but then like a back door or, or a side or door like a window but then the police said that they carried a large safe which was two and a half feet by two and a half feet by three feet out the front door and no one saw them. What? <laughs> which is also really weird. And then... Uh-huh. Okay, so their story doesn't add up at all. No, it doesn't. And it, Unless it took place on the 24th, which would make a lot more sense. Okay, so that's the thing. They said that they got there at like four o'clock in the morning when there probably wouldn't be news vans unless they like camped out literally camped out all night um so that could be possible but then they said that they saw news trucks and if they're carrying the safe out the front door three and a half hours later that's like 7 30 you'd think that people would start like you know waking up and yeah i don't know oh, okay right so they're pushing really hard to be like look we were we weren't there when that girl went missing right but the thing is the homeowners they were still home around 10 30 because they like made some calls from their home and then and then they left like after 10 30 and then they came back the night of the 26th i think or early the 27th okay so if they were still home until 10 30 and Lacey went missing like they said the neighbor said that she saw the dog at at 10 30 at either 10 30 or 10 18 well so then that kind of makes them suspicious that they're trying to be like nope we weren't there when that girl went missing right (laughs) with your old timey accent i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why they have accents even though they live in modesto Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're old miners and then a witness, another witness reported seeing three men with a van and a safe in front of the burgled oh. home on the 24th at 1140. And then another report, source reported that a woman saw three men who looked menacingly at her um, in front of a van, like in the neighborhood. But later it was found out that they were landscapers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, fucking Modesto. Okay. (laughs) So then, okay, so then the police arranged for the first woman who said that she saw the van with the safe on the 24th at 1140. I guess they arranged for her to be hypnotized by an unqualified hypnotist. (laughs) So her testimony was, like, not allowed at court, which... (laughs) 
I've also, I mean, I know that if you've been hypnotized as a witness, like you, your testimony is not allowed in court anyway, because they don't completely trust it, but they can use whatever you say, like to go off of, to get like more clues. Um, so I don't know if this is like a new ruling or what, but it seems like shoddy work to get an unqualified hypnotist in there. But, (laughs) and then the police also said the men were far more cooperative than suspects usually are. And detective Stowe says it was bad luck on their part. Stephen Todd said that he was scared that he was going to be associated with Lacey's disappearance. It's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) It was bad luck on the part of the burglars. Damn bad luck that this woman went missing when, all they're when we're trying, trying to, to burgle, burgle this house. house. You take the giant ass safe and you got these news cameras everywhere. Right. It's very inconsiderate. Out, Out the front <laughs> door. In the daytime. Right. So like you're a burglar. You see news trucks on the street that you're going to like break into a house. Burgle. And you're not. Maybe you don't burgle that you're day. like yeah either that or you're like oh let's go in a different door or like a window or whatever but then it's like let's oh, go to a different street you know what? it's too much effort to throw this big safe over a fence so let's just walk out the front door and cross our fingers that we're not gonna have some <laughs> bad luck today yep so todd one of the burglars pled guilty and got eight years and eight months even though he was a third strike offender mm. um and i'm pretty sure that's like a felony breaking into someone's house right uh, I think for the three strikes, it was more like a crime against another person. So if they had been home and they broke in. Yeah. Like if it was assault. Yeah. With, you know, like a weapon or something or like, you know, some, yeah. If, if they were there. Well, wait, when was that change? In 2012. Yeah. So this, he was a third strike offender in like 2000. I don't know when they were on trial, but the crime happened in 2002. They were probably going on trial like a year or so later. So he was a third strike offender when it was like you could have gotten a misdemeanor and still been in for like the rest of your life. But he only got eight years and eight months. He did plead guilty though. So they gave him a deal, a like really good deal, I guess. They probably did. Um, and then Pierce got 180 days, oh. which isn't too bad. Yeah. Okay. So this is another one that's kind of like uh, red herring or real or what's happening. On the 31st, a watch identical to Lacey's was pawned by a woman named Deanna Renfro, and a background check would have shown a link between her and the families of Stephen Todd and the Tenbrink families. Mm. But I also read that the watch that Lacey had had a bunch of diamonds around it, and the one that was pawned had quartz around it, which quartz and diamonds look pretty similar. I don't know. But also, it's like a watch like hers or her watch, because that's different. Tons of people have the same watch. Right. So it's like, how would you know? Yeah. Because the watch went missing the day she went missing. Mm. So they didn't have like, you know. Mm. Okay. And then another issue. So the prosecutors had their like slam dunk, like witness or expert. Mm -hmm. And he was like a title expert. Um, and then he claimed that if you found bodies in one area, you could determine where they had been based on the tide. Hmm. But while he was still on the stand, he had, had to admit that he actually had not studied the water, nor did he have any expertise, education, or practice in the movement of water. What? Where did they find yeah. this guy? I The don't same place know. they found their hypnotist? Yeah, I guess so. Jesus. Yeah, unqualified. How can these meet? people like, get jobs what? and we can't? 
Dude, I'd be a way better title expert, and, like, <laughs> I can just, like, watch the ocean, and like, I get it. Yeah, man, just feel the waves, bro. I get it, man. <laughs> I totally saw that wave going that way. <laughs> you just got to become one with the water. Yeah, um, let it wash all over you. Well, and he had also known where Scott had gone fishing before he, like, made the prediction. So, obviously, it's not, like, an accurate prediction okay um and then so the defense their story was that Lacey had been kidnapped and the kidnappers knew where to dump the body because everything had been so publicized so everyone knew where scott had been fishing Mm. so you would know where like the least suspicious place to drop off a body would be Mm. um but then i was thinking like i don't know exactly where the do you know where the marina dock is? Like, where he would have gone to put his boat in the water? <laughs> no, because I, um, you know, unlike popular belief, do not own a boat. I do not like oh, a wait, boat. Oh, you don't fish? I don't like being on boats. <laughs> I don't like... You don't like a boat? I don't like a boats. I don't like anything about a boat. A boat of boats. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, if the body was found in the dog park area... You would have to carry that body pretty far. You can't just, like... I mean, I guess there are places where you could just park and then dump it, yeah. but... Yeah, and I mean, like, honestly, if you're dumping something in the bay, it doesn't really go out of the bay. It just kind of stays in the bay, so eventually it would land somewhere wherever you threw it. They had, like, multiple doctors um, determine the age of, of Connor, the fetus... Um, so like one doctor had created a formula where you like measure your fibula, tibia and femur length and then determine like how old the fetus is based on their like assumed date of conception or something like there's some kind of formula for it. And so different doctors Mm -hmm. testified different things. So one said that he thought that like Connor would have like died within the time that Lacey had been like missing or whatever as soon as she went missing that he probably would have died like then. But then the defense had a doctor that said that he could have lived well past December 24th um, and could have actually lived until January 3rd. Another. What? Oh, just like outside the body, just like there. Well, I mean, for days, I mean, people give birth at like five months. Yeah. But being out, that baby lives, oh. you know, so they're, no, they're saying that she was kidnapped. Well, they're theorizing that she was kidnapped, and either someone wanted the baby, or, like, something happened where she was, like, kept alive for a few days, and so I don't know. And then Mm -hmm. someone else said that he, like, his gestational age was between, I read, like, between 32 weeks and 40 weeks, or 34 and 40 weeks, or around 35 weeks, but Lacey was around, like, 32 weeks along. Like, she'd just gone to the doctor on the 23rd. I think, and they said that she was about, like, 20, 32 weeks along, so it's kind of like, I don't know, and then another pathologist said that his gestational age appeared to be nine months, which is kind of like, really, dude? Like, I don't think so. So then, and then, I guess they took, like, I just added this in because I thought it was, like, kind of funny. They brought a dog to sniff the marina, so he was supposed to, like, sniff her scent at the marina, Uh and his name was Trimble. Oh, and he was a trailing dog, not a cadaver dog, and Lacey would not have been walking around, so having a trailing dog didn't really make sense. Uh-huh. Um, and to top it all off, 
Trimble failed 75% of his certification tests. Oh, so qualified people. I know. <laughs> I know. I could, I could be a trail dog. <laughs> I know. So. Wow. So that's, that's. So I don't know. Like, what do you think? That's it. That's all the evidence and everything. Yeah, there's like literally no evidence. I mean, except I, for circumstantial evidence. Yeah, all all fingers point to old Scotty boy. Oh, and then I had one more thing to add. So there was like a rumor going around that I think the Peterson spread that like pregnant women were going missing in the area, but it turns out pregnant women go missing a lot more than you would hope for, and it's usually the father of the baby or the husband or the partner. It's not like some baby factory happening where they're, like, kidnapping pregnant women. I mean, I'm sure it does happen, but it's usually, like, you know, the baby's father that does it. So that kind of makes him seem guilty. (laughs) I know. Oh, and then I think that the reason why she was, like, missing limbs and things is because they said that she was tied down by the cement anchors. And then with the, like, ties and things, like. Just ripped her apart. Well, I'm sure with the animals in there, too. Yeah. Poor thing. She was such a baby. So toss salad, scrambled egg. I think we have a toss salad. I think he's a narcissist. Yeah, that's what I would guess. And I think he's probably a sex addict and he just doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Like he just, it was just an inconvenience. So we had to get rid of it so he could continue his party lifestyle because you knew he would either get divorced and have to pay alimony. And that's a bummer. Or he would, you know, just get rid of the problem and then continue being able to have his cake and eat it too. He shouldn't have gotten married in the first place though. No, but I'm sure it was like a status thing. I mean, maybe, but they were pretty young when they got married. They got married in 97. I don't know. I just think, yeah, I think I want to say she was like 22 and he was maybe 23 when they got married. I mean, some people think it's expected and that's what you do. I guess. Well, and for him, Plus, it you wasn't... know, if she thinks, if she thinks that he's the love of her life, yeah. and it was probably just like a, okay, I'll do it for him. Like, yeah, it's a status thing. I got married, so like, you know. Well, and it clearly wasn't affecting his game initially. No. Oh, and the other thing that I read. Okay, this is like really awful too. They wanted to. They like tested her body for. They did like the um talk screen or whatever and they found that she had caffeine in her system but they were looking to see if he had been giving her like supplements or herbs or whatever to induce an abortion Mm. because remember the guy in Colorado who killed his pregnant wife and two babies Mm. and stuffed them in the barrel thing and like the tiny thing Um, I guess he had been giving his wife like Abortion, abortificants, Um, but like secretly Uh, and it wasn't working. uh, So then he just like snapped and like, so they're wondering if Scott was doing that to Lacey too, because then he also kept asking like when she'd go in for her doctor's appointments, like he kept insisting on like ultrasound, like 3d ultrasounds that were like really expensive and like, he like kept trying to like see if the baby was okay and like weird. Yeah, so maybe this was his last resort. Maybe he had already tried the things that he could, and now this is, like, his last resort. Like, having a wife obviously doesn't get in the way of 
your affairs and things. No, but, but having a baby, where especially baby now your, your wife is going to want to know where you are at all times because you need to come help with the baby. Or, like, maybe you need to work well, more hours to make more money because we have another yeah, baby. Yeah, I think that was it. So you have less time to go party. Yeah. You would have less time to go golfing. You'd have less money to buy boats and, like, Especially if he's, like, whatever. we're not buying anything and she's eight months along and you don't even have, like, yeah. any kind of baby set up. Like, well, I'm sure she bought baby stuff. I'm sure her parents, like, probably bought baby stuff. But he's, like, oh, money's too tight for baby stuff. It's, like, no, I don't uh, think that's the issue. You just bought a boat, but, like, money's too tight for baby stuff? Yeah. Yeah, he just bought a mm-hmm. boat. It was, like, over $1,000 for the boat and, like, his fake um, his fake diplomas. Like, that's a hefty sum for some fake diplomas. Um, you couldn't so, Photoshop that shit? yeah. <laughs> Dick. Yeah. So I think now I'm back on board with I think he did it. I mean, he has the motive. He has the. So people ability. were saying they so. The Reddit community feel some uh-huh. of them feel that he killed her on the 23rd, put her body in his truck, um, and then. And then mixed up the Martha Stewart episode. Or he probably could have, like, turned on the Martha Stewart show just to be like, I need an alibi. Um, And then he put the dog on a leash, left it out in the front yard, took his truck to the warehouse, did the, the, like... um... Oh, because also they found on the family computer, or on, yeah, I guess the family computer, that he had... So his family is saying that she, like, did some internet search. There were, like, internet searches for things that Lacey liked, like a, a sunflower umbrella. Mm. But what it really was was there's, like, uh, proof that he signed into his private email address using his password and that there was, like, an ad. There's probably, like, an ad for this, the umbrella that he accidentally clicked because as soon as that page com- came up, like, a few seconds later, it was closed. Mm. So it wasn't like she was shopping for umbrellas. It was like, uh, oh shit, I didn't mean to do that. A pop up. So there's n- there's really no proof that she was well, even alive that morning. Being that he was such a narcissist too, and it, the death didn't seem to really affect him, I could see him like just going about his daily routine as normal. And like, if he's used to watching Martha Stewart in the morning, like turning it like, on, turning it watching on. it. Yeah, like, I, it, he seems like the type of dude that's just, like, he's got his things, and that's what he does, and he doesn't really care about anyone else, so, like, what he when he gets up in the morning, he watches Martha Stewart, and then he, like, you know, does X, Y, and Z. I could see him just, like, sitting there watching it, and, like, okay, now I'll go on with my business. Or he's, like, getting food for breakfast, or, like, just doing his thing, getting coffee, and he's, just like, you know, you come downstairs, turn the TV on. Then, like, mm-hmm. do your thing. Like, maybe that's what he did. He was just, like, wasn't even watching. He was just, like, doing – he was, like, searching his emails and eating breakfast. And then he's, like, oh, I guess I got to go, like, dump my wife now, which is really sad. So then the other thing – the other thing that the Petersons were saying, they hired, like, some boat person that was, like, oh, yeah, the boat that he had was too flimsy. We tried to throw off, like, a heavy object off the boat, and it would capsize every time. But then someone else on Reddit said that – like, that's not how you throw heavy things off those kinds of boats. You throw them off the back of the boat so it won't capsize. And someone else that they think that that's how she broke her ribs is he, like, pushed her off with his feet. Uh. Which is, like, really sad, too. So, yeah, I'm back on the, I think he did it. I mean, it just doesn't look good for him when her body shows up where he was 
quote unquote fishing for like an hour and then like is leave and then immediately is leaving a message to her being like oh hey baby cakes kisses yeah yeah well and I mean they don't know how she died but I feel like it could have like suffocated her when she was sleeping like there's like no blood evidence or anything so I feel like it could have been you know I don't know and then her family said that there or his maybe one of his sisters said that they like bickered a lot they had like a lot of like their relationship wasn't that which I'm sure, like, they probably did fight, like, you know, because he seemed kind of, like, unfeeling, and she was, like, pregnant, you know? I don't know. And he, like, wasn't getting ready for the baby at all, and... Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think he did it. I know, me too. And he was so... um, Everyone kept saying he was so charming, like, he was so charming, and that's, like, one of the... You have to be charming if you're a narcissist because clearly he did have a lot of people fooled. Even her own family like was on his side at first, you know? Right. That's the thing about narcissists. They generally are very charming and that's why people get sucked in. But then when he gets all flustered, like with that Diane Sawyer interview, that's like super uncomfortable. It's like, oh yeah, you're showing who you are now. You can't keep tabs on your own lies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. So I think that we've had a tossed salad and a scrambled egg this episode. We did. We in, indeed had a tossed salad and scrambled egg. Although maybe <laughs> he is a scrambled egg because he seems kind of like, you know, it's kind of like who he is. Yeah, it is. But I would say like, <laughs> you know, minus the murder. His track record didn't have too many, doesn't seem to have too many like, you know well he's not like people being affected in his wake well that's the thing though like with sociopaths and narcissists a lot of times like the way they operate is so like sneaky that you don't even Mm -hmm. realize how fucked over you are until they're out of your life so he's had who knows how many affairs he's had and that's like extremely hurtful and messed up sure for anyone going through that Um, yeah who knows what else like sneaky shit he's done I guess I would say, like, it seems like he was just, like, more, he seems like a person that's more in control of his actions and, like, a little bit more, like, manipulative and, and like, conniving in that way that instead of just, like, reacting to things and, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that he would have ever killed anyone except for if his partner got pregnant then I can see him doing you know like in this one circumstance I see him killing someone I don't necessarily see him killing anyone in any other circumstance I guess right if that's kind of it's kind of weird well like it's basically like if it affects him if he's going to be put out right then he can commit crimes but he's not going looking for crimes right but then like the whole burglar thing is like so sketch like what the hell was that about that's true but think about how many people like confess to things just to get attention or to to like get different treatment in prison yeah but the timing of it all is like really weird but then I'm thinking like okay if these people kept saying like three people were seen but then it was like these two dudes who did it unless they had like a getaway driver which I don't know um but then what like someone sees them so they like kidnap her and then murder her and then hold on to her until they find out where the husband like went fishing and then dump her. Like that. That's really the thing. Sense. Like they don't really have a motive. And if they're really burglar, 
burglaring, 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 burgling, burgling, burgling. If they're really burgling, like they want to get in and out. They don't want to like interact with people. They want to fucking get, especially if they have a huge ass safe that they're convinced has money in it. Why would you risk like getting caught with like another person unless she like saw them pulling the safe out? confronted them oh right that's right and then i mean i guess that could be a they gotta shut her up because she saw them pull out a huge safe okay but why would they hold on to her body until they find out like where he had been fishing and then drive her an hour and a half out of the way you'd think that'd be more yeah you would think i mean that seems like super calculated for some burglars you know It is suspicious, but I think just like, I mean, the only thing that would point me towards that would be that the dog was out on in the the front yard with a leash like that makes me believe that someone put a leash on with the intent to take the dog on a walk. Unless it was Scott who intended on setting up that scene. Right. Which I mean, the timing like. Yeah. So I guess he could have left like at 10. 10 or whatever and then she could have put the dog on the leash taken the dog outside seen what was happening across the street walked over there was like what the fuck and then they could have like grabbed Mm -hmm. her and put her in the van and like driven off and the dog would have been like left at home out front and that timing might have worked but their motive seems a little i don't know their motive seems a little iffy yeah he did it he did it i feel like he did it or He's just like super unlucky, just like those darn burglars (laughs) stroke bad luck. I mean, I think the really iffy thing is that they don't have any physical evidence and it is like so circumstantial, but it must have been like really strongly circumstantial if they voted him guilty, except for like they really did it because of the affair and his demeanor. So it's like, I don't know. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime in E6, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Okay, so (laughs) I want to tell you the story about Lorraine Fisher. (laughs) Oh, Lorraine. Lorraine. Uh. 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 Lorraine. All right, so this is a story from the Suffolk Gazette. Oh, is it English? It's an English story. Yeah. Okay. A woman who danced naked through <gasps> the through a Suffolk village with <sighs> a car- with a carrot clenched between her buttocks <gasps> was only trying to liven things up. A court heard today. <laughs> Lorraine Fisher, 34, had grown tired of the slow pace of village life, so decided to give locals something interesting to talk about. Fisher, a self-employed artist, stripped off and walked out of her quaint, picturesque postcard cottage uh, in Bruce Yard near Framlingham at 1.30 p.m. on Thursday, October 12th, prosecutor Steve Walsh said, And if that was not enough, she clenched a six-inch carrot between her buttocks. Oh, my God. She added, Fisher then skipping along the lane and past the local pub where members of the Frowlingham Rotary Club were enjoying a lunch. One diner, retired bank clerk Royston Beavis, 76, couldn't believe his eyes when the 
shapely artist paused outside the pub's front door, then wagged her behind, revealing the protruding orange vegetable. (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Mr. Walsh said Fisher then danced up danced off up the lane and waved at a passing car before turning around and strolling casually back to her house. Unfortunately for her, the motorist was the wife of local vicar, the Reverend Evan Elpis, who rang the police as soon as she got back to the vicarage. Two officers from Woodbridge visited Miss Fisher and found her peeling carrots at her her sink, (laughs) still without any clothes on. She, she was arrested and bailed to appear before court today. Emily Lloyd, representing Fisher, told stunned magistrates that her client did not make a habit of stripping in public. She had enjoyed a lunchtime sherry or two, and the urge came over her to do something daring, Miss <laughs> Lloyd said. She accepts that the carrot was perhaps a step too far. <laughs> she only wanted to liven up yet another quiet day in rural Suffolk, but would now like to apologize to the court. She promises to remain dressed in the future. <laughs> uh, ma- <laughs> magistrates find Fisher... 250 pounds for outraging public decency and ordered her to pay 75 pounds costs. Fisher refused to comment to the Suffolk Gazette outside of court. (laughs) Oh my god. What an artistic piece. God, it's beautiful. Yeah, so... So if it wasn't for that vicar's that wife, damn it's always vicar's the vicar's wife. wife. Gotta ruin it for all the fun barmaid, the bar people, the bar folk that are sitting Ew, there. And then she was peeling <laughs> carrots. Well, how do you think she got the idea? Well, that's true. You have a couple sherries, and then the next thing you know, got a carrot in your butt. <laughs> Awful. Okay, this one's a, sh- a really short one. Okay, short and sweet. It's a, it's a, it's about a parrot. Um, according to the Guardian, a parrot oh. who has not been named in Brazil was taken into <laughs> cu- <laughs> was taken into custody. Wait, like he, <laughs> like he par- had a name and they won't name him. Or... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's. <laughs> I think you know. He's a minor. He's a can't be named. Uh, right. 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 So he's not been named. He's been taken into custody by local police on April 30th, 2019, after they arrested the bird's uh, drug dealer owners. The bird reportedly was taught to alert criminals of nearby police and apparently was found calling, Mom, the police, in Portuguese, right around the time the police were prepared to raid the home of two suspected crack dealers. Uh, he must have been trained Whoa. for this local police told Brazilian media after the raid the Guardian reports as soon as the police got close he just started shouting <laughs> oh. mom the police so they arrested him <laughs> yeah. oh my god I mean I don't know like do they have a tiny cage to put him in or something oh no I hope not <laughs> Yeah, what's his crime? What's his punishment? I don't know. Maybe he's a witness. Oh, he's gonna be on the chain gang, little chain around his little leg. Yeah, he blew the whistle. Oh, he's gonna be a witness. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, 
Oh, Mom, good. the police. Oh, how do you say that in Portuguese? Mama, policia. <laughs> I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so. That was good. That was a good way to end it. <laughs>